Hello and welcome. It is Eric Erickson here, the Eric Erickson Show. Glad to have you with me. Phone number is 877-973-7425. Well, we, I, I, look, we've got to talk about uh, Shinzo Abe, uh, the prime minister of Japan, being assassinated. It actually is a very big story. It's, it's, it's big as well just in how the American media has chosen to cover it. Uh, just more proof of NPR needing to be defunded in what they have done. But... Before I get there, I need to go back to a topic from yesterday. Calm some of you down. The Daily Beast is reporting Herschel Walker, the U.S. Senate candidate from Georgia, that essentially his campaign is in disarray. His staff don't believe him. He's a serial liar. Uh, he can't be honest with them. He he he's not doing the work. The campaign is flailing. I mean, you've got staffers on the campaign saying deeply disparaging things about him, as well as outside groups. Turns out, a number of donors have now walked away, pulled their money, don't want to help. Think he's bad. Listen, all of that stuff is true, and you need to know it's true. And I've heard this stuff from members of his staff. I mean, after he didn't want to be on with me to have spent an hour on the most listened to radio station, which happens to be where sixty percent of his voters are coming from and answer the four simple questions of who are you, why are you running, what's your big issue, and why you, not the other guys, refused to sit down. One of his staffers told me they just didn't want him to do an hour free-form conversation, thought it wouldn't go well. So look, I, I, these stories are true. You need to understand that, but you Democrats need to understand that while those stories are true, Herschel Walker can still win and probably will. That's the point you need to take away. Yes, the campaign is in disarray. Yes, he's a bad candidate. And yes, he'll be the next U.S. senator, more likely than not. Why? Well, let me give you some data. Civics is a Democratic pollster. Now, this is important. Civics is a Democratic pollster. Not a Republican pollster, not an independent pollster, not a media pollster, but an actual partisan pollster for Democrats. Partisan pollsters for Democrats like to put Democrats in the best possible light. Let me give you the polling on Joe Biden in the state of Georgia. 25% approval, 63% disapproval. 12% approval among white voters, 82% disapproval among white voters. 17% approval among Hispanic voters, 68% disapproval among Hispanic voters. 18% approval among independents, 67% disapproval. 19% approval among 18 to 34-year-olds, 63% disapproval. Among women, Biden's polling in Georgia is 28% approve, 57% disapprove. And among those with postgraduate degrees, the most favorable group for Democrats these days, 30% approval, 61% disapproval. Among black voters... 51% approve, 26% disapprove. Among Democrats, 60% approve, 17% disapprove. Really, it's 40% of Democrats disapprove, but many of them are such loyal Democrats, they can't bring themselves to say they disapprove, so they just say they're not sure. But 60% approval among Democrats in Georgia is brutal. 51% approval among black voters in Georgia is brutal. He's got 26% disapproval among black voters. Really, it's basically 50-50. 
in the black community. They can't bring themselves to say it, though. That's what's going on here. That's his approval in Georgia from a Democratic pollster. And now we have another poll out from another Democratic pollster. This is data for progress. Data for progress is right now the most credible Democratic pollster in the country. They run a series of polls for Democrats designed to improve Democratic standing. They have Herschel Walker at 49%, Raphael Warnock at 47%. Warnock is underwater by seven points on favorability. That's from a Democratic pollster. Among the gubernatorial race in Georgia, Brian Kemp is at 53%. Stacey Abrams is at 40%. Kemp has a favorability rating of up 3%. Abrams is underwater with negative nine favorability rating. That means she's down nine points. Her unfavorables are nine points less than her, or her unfavorables are nine points higher than her favorables. Kemp's favorables are three points higher than his unfavorables. That is a Democratic pollster. It's not a Republican. It's not an independent pollster. That's a Democrat pollster designed to put the best possible light on this race. And that Democratic pollster has Herschel Walker, 49, Warnock, 47, Kemp, 53, Abrams, 44. Now, you remember the Democrats grabbing hold of Quinnipiac's polling that had Kemp tied and had Warnock 10 points up on Walker. And the Democrats were celebrating nationally. But in Georgia, you talk to a Democrat, the Democrats are like, yeah, no. Even the Democrats in Georgia were telling the national media, no, add five points to Walker at least. Add five points to Kemp at least, which would have put Kemp ahead of Abrams in that poll because they were tied. This is a Democratic pollster. And this Democratic pollster has Kemp above even the margin for a runoff at 53%. And Walker on the cusp of avoiding a runoff at 49%. What do you think is more likely? Here's what I think is going to happen. We're going to have a whirlwind of scandals, scams, and hit jobs on Herschel Walker over the next several months. And a lot of it will be true. A lot of it deserves. Some of it won't. There will be a lot of opposition about Raphael Warnock and his votes. And at the end of the day, This race will be about Joe Biden, who is not on the ballot, but in the forefront of people's minds, unlike Donald Trump. And the Democrats are in such strong headwinds, Walker will most likely win. A lot of voters will hold their nose and think, well, I mean, we got John Ossoff in there to balance him out. And they don't like John Ossoff, but they'll view him as a balance to Herschel Walker. The Democrats won't think they need two Democrats in the Senate and they can just have one and they can let Biden know they're mad at him by making Warnock the sacrificial lamb. Kemp will beat Abrams and ironically, it'll be Brian Kemp who will be second on the ballot. The the federal race, federal statewide, gets prominence on Georgia's ballot. So Herschel Walker's race will lead the ballot with Brian Kemp second race on the ballot. 
and Brian Kemp will have so many people turn out for him. They will vote for Herschel Walker, and it will be Brian Kemp's coattails pulling Herschel Walker across the finish line. Remember, all the national pollsters in the primary in Georgia had Walker dominating the race and Kemp not doing as well. And when the actual voters went and actually voted, Brian Kemp had the largest margin of error. In fact, one of the largest margins of error in Georgia history in a primary. Margin of error, margin of victory. Brian Kemp had a higher margin of victory in a Republican primary than anybody in Georgia ever has. And he outpaced Herschel Walker. And everybody said it would be Walker outpacing Kemp. It was not. Brian Kemp has coattails. Herschel Walker will ride them across the finish line. And the Walker team should be mindful of that. They're running a deeply flawed candidate with all sorts of baggage about which you haven't even heard yet, but you will. And he can still win. And what you need to understand if you're a Democrat, you can say it's hypocritical, you can complain about it, you can be outraged by it, you can say, how dare these Republicans vote for a guy like this? Well, you know what? He has an R next to his name, and that matters. And save your turning your nose up and your hypocrisy because you would vote for him if he had a D next to his name, running against an R, and you don't want to admit it but you know it's true. Warnock could pull it off, depending on the baggage that comes out about Walker. But I would remind you, Joe Biden ran a basement strategy in 2020 and won. Joe Biden stayed in his basement, avoided large events, avoided crowds, didn't avoid a debate. Walker says he's going to debate Warnock. That'll be a disaster for the GOP. But even that won't matter. It's not going to persuade a ton of people. There aren't a lot of persuadable people at this point. There are a lot of pissed off people who are mad at Joe Biden, who are furious with the economy, who are furious with everything happening culturally in our schools, and they are ready to rise up and they will take a deeply flawed candidate like Herschel Walker and they'll put him into office. This translates elsewhere, too. The Democrats spent more money in Pennsylvania promoting Doug Mastriano, the GOP gubernatorial candidate, than Doug Mastriano did himself. Mastriano spent about $50,000 on television ads to promote his campaign. The Democrats spent a million dollars on television promoting Mastriano's campaign. And Mastriano was tied with Democrat Josh Shapiro in the polling in Pennsylvania. Dr. Oz is not doing well in Pennsylvania. He's not a good candidate. Had Donald Trump stayed out of the race, he would have lost, and that would have been a good thing. People have opinions on Dr. Oz because he's a well-known guy. News reports say Sean Hannity and uh, Melania Trump pushed Donald Trump into endorsing Dr. Oz, and he did. He liked the celebrity factor. He thought it would help. And Dr. Oz is fighting for his political life. But even in Pennsylvania, which has drifted more to the right these last couple of years, may not matter. Oz could probably get elected there. He's probably going to get elected there. He's probably going to hold that Republican seat because this is an environment that is a disaster for the Democrats. All of the headwinds are against them. They have, for the last several weeks, smiled behind the scenes knowingly that, oh, 
The Supreme Court just helped us. Roe v. Wade going, it's going to fire up women. The problem is the women were already voting for you and it wasn't enough. Women will not be enough of a vote margin for you to be able to win on the angst over Roe v. Wade. The problem is because by November, much of the focus on Roe v. Wade will be gone except from the hardcore partisans, but people will still be struggling financially in this country and a recession is coming. Roe is not going to help Democrats, and if you don't believe me, just listen to the National Democrats, with the exception of Elizabeth Warren, who is out there screaming about crisis pregnancy centers and how they all need to be shut down. Nancy Pelosi is back to talking about jobs and the economy. The White House is back to talking about jobs and the economy. Chuck Schumer is back talking about jobs and the economy. All the Democrats are back to talking about jobs and the economy. They're not talking about abortion. They pivoted quickly back to jobs and the economy. Why? Because their polling shows the issue doesn't necessarily help them. In fact, in a poll of polls over the last 20 years, a majority of voters who voted on the issue of abortion voted for the GOP. It was their issue. Now, that was in a world where Roe existed, and now we're in a world where Roe does not. So the polling could shift, but there hasn't been any credible showing that the polling has shifted significantly enough to help the Democrats about it. The Democrats are in a terrible, terrible problem right now. My gosh, I kind of feel bad for them. I mean, I listen, I I, I kind of do. They, they came in in 2020. They thought, my gosh, we beat Donald Trump. We, we pushed back the MAGA right. We got everything working for us. We're going to get the economy roaring again. And metrically, the economy looks like it's working and nobody feels it because prices are so high. The Democrats have lost all basic economic sense on how to fix the economy. And they're losing. And they're losing to people like Herschel Walker. And they can't believe they're losing to a guy like that. And they're losing to a guy like that because the Democrats got so arrogant and so out of touch with the voters and so forgetful of history and basic economics that the voters intend to remind them by rubbing their nose into the fact that a guy like Raphael Warnock is losing in Georgia in a Democratic poll to a guy like Herschel Walker. And that's going to hurt the Democrats the most in November when they see these flawed Republicans who they themselves helped get Republican nominations beating the Democrats. Listen, I realize it's a podcast ad, but it's also true. I do sleep under Bull and Branch sheets every night. They are noticeable, distinct there. They've got a great weight to them. They've got a great softness to them, and they get softer over time. They use the best 100% organic cotton threads on the planet for superior softness and a better night's sleep. They're soft to start with. They get softer. They've also got a great weight. They're not too light. They're not too heavy. They keep you cool in the summer, warm in the winter. They're just perfect sheets, really. They use the highest quality threads there are. They're beloved even by three U.S. presidents. They got over 10,000 stellar reviews. And you can feel the difference of their iconic signature sheets pretty immediately. Bull and Branch even gives you a 30-night risk-free trial with free shipping and returns on all orders. The annual summer event is starting soon, but Bull and Branch is giving you guys exclusive early access before anyone else to 20% off with promo code ERIC, E-R-I-C-K, at bowlandbranch.com. 
It is their best offer of the year before the holidays, so you need to act now. Again, you guys, my listeners of The Eric Erickson Show, get this exclusive early access, and you get to save 20% with promo code ERIC. It's Bolin Branch, B-O-L-L-A-N-D, branch.com. The promo code is ERIC, E-R-I-C-K, for 20% off. Welcome back. It's Eric Erickson here. The phone number 877-973-7425. Just real quick, uh, when I get back at the bottom of the hour, I I know for a lot of people, why are you talking about an assassination? It actually, it's a big story. And uh, the media reaction in this country to it is makes it an even bigger story. Um, I want to do it justice. I was going to start the show with it, but then all the, the polling news out of out of Georgia came out. And after I talked about the Walker stuff yesterday, I wanted to get back to it and, and talk people off the ledge who are starting to freak out. Yeah, he, terrible candidate, but he can still win is the bottom line. Uh, right now, though, I want to go to the phones. I want to go to Dave. Dave, welcome to the Eric Erickson Show. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on, Eric. Sure. Uh, quick question for you. So in In 2020, we were also, as Republicans, we were also fired up that we were going to win. Trump was going to win. We were going to retain the Senate. And even Newt Gingrich was saying that he thought we were going to pick up more seats in the Senate. And, you know, obviously that didn't happen. They won. And here we are. Uh, And now this year we're talking about this big red wave that's going to happen. How can you be so sure? So many things went against the Republicans with the uh, corporations against us with the lack of, you know, Republicans not showing up, things like that. How are you so sure that this is going to happen? Well, okay, so let, let's back up to 2020. Um, actually, in 2020, most of the public polling that was out there uh, showed that there was going to be a, a blue wave coming, that Republicans were going to get swamped, uh, that they would hold the Senate more likely than not because of Georgia, which they would have had Republicans turned out in Georgia in 2021 but that there was actually going to be a big blue wave. Uh, No one actually saw what happened coming. Even the Republican pollsters didn't believe what was going to happen happened. Uh, Republican and Democratic pollsters who were sharing their internal private polling with different political prognosticators were showing doom on the horizon for the GOP. The Republican generic ballot, uh, they were in a deficit. Democrats had a three or four point advantage in the generic uh, ballot. And what actually happened? The GOP came within uh, 10 seats of taking back the House. They only lost the Senate because Georgia Republicans refused to go vote in the runoff. They picked up the New Hampshire legislature. Uh, They picked up seats in the Minnesota House, keeping it in Republican hands. They held on to the Arizona Senate when they were supposed to lose it. And they picked up a couple of governor seats. So it turned out to be a great, great year for the GOP. And literally not a single public pollster in America saw it coming other than I think Trafalgar. Um, it looked like it was doom and gloom and a big blue wave coming and no one saw the red wave coming. So now let's look at what's happening this year. All of those polls still have a Democratic bias, but the Democratic bias in the polls is now 1% instead of 5%. The generic ballot for the first time since 1938 in Gallup has the GOP at its highest level over 2%, which for Gallup is huge because of the way it pulls the generic ballot. Uh, You've got Democratic pollsters themselves starting to freak out by their internal polling. And remember, after 2020, when they did their analysis of how they got it so wrong, they said, well, we don't know. We think polls are broken. They haven't corrected their weighting. 
So you've actually got the Democratic pollsters who thought there was a blue wave haven't changed their models. And the model that showed them a blue wave last time is already showing them a red wave coming. So when you don't change the polling methodology and the poll that was so wrong in 2020 because it underestimated Republicans is now showing you a red wave is coming with the same model. That means the red wave, it's not that they're underestimating now a blue wave, it's that they're underestimating the size of the red wave because they're using the same method that has a bias towards the Democrats. It still has a bias towards the Democrats, and yet even the bias towards the Democrats is being overcome by the strength of the GOP. Will that change? It could change. Republicans are nominating some really crappy candidates around the country. Candidates do ultimately matter. Could the blue wave come? It could come. But there's not a Democrat in America outside the hardcore denialist partisans who think that's going to happen. Even Joe Biden's team is freaked out now that game's up. No more time left. The Republicans are coming. Hello, it is Eric Erickson here. Welcome to the program. Um, I, we need to talk about this this uh, turn of events. It happened actually about 11.01 p.m. last night, our time. It was morning in Japan. Shinzo Abe. For years, I called him Shinzo Abe, um, and a friend of mine said it's Abe, not Abe. The former prime minister of Japan, Shinzo Abe, was gunned down. He was giving a political speech. The man was a legend in Japan. He was Japan's longest-serving prime minister, a staunch American ally, insistent on uh, being uh, an American ally and allying even closer with us. He was, uh, to be sure, uh, very pro-Japan nationalist. He had been uh, raised in a political family. His grandfather had been prime minister, and he believed that the Constitution imposed on Japan by us after World War II needed to be reconfigured and had American willingness to reconfigure parts of that constitution, particularly as it came to military and defense. When Donald Trump got elected, uh, Shinzo Abe famously hopped a plane from Japan with a golden golf club, flew to New York to give it to the president-elect as a sign of uh, he's Team America, doesn't matter who the president is. Democrat and Republican presidents alike adored the guy. He was great friends with George W. Bush as well and had a good working relationship with Barack Obama. Abe was given a speech, and a 41-year-old man approached him, stood within a few feet of him, and shot him with a homemade gun. There were two wounds to Abe's chest, and the former prime minister died. Japan, of course, you can't get a gun in Japan. This was a homemade gun. What I find very notable about this and relatable to you and me is how a lot of American reporters rushed to compare gun violence issues between Japan and the United States and how rare it is and you can't get a gun there and and we should be more like Japan, except Japan does not have a Second Amendment, nor does Japan have a longtime gun culture from which they reversed. They simply, uh, as a society after World War II, 
were punished by the Americans for their militarism, forced into a defensive position uh, with a right of self-defense, but not offensive military action. Uh, there, there are no guns. It's a completely different culture. And American reporters trying to uh, be analogous with Japan on guns, very much like after Boris Johnson yesterday uh, announced he would leave the Conservative Party leadership and the Prime Ministership in Great Britain after rebellion from his party, they were like, well, what would have happened if Donald Trump had Republicans do this to him? And, and even Maggie Haberman, the New York Times reporter, is like, this is not an analogous situation. There is no comparable analogy in the way our systems work. You can't do it. And, and the reporter at CNN who was asking the question was completely befuddled by it. But there's more here as well. I want to read you how National Public Radio characterized the death of communist dictator Fidel Castro. Here's his tweet. Number one, first tweet, former Cuban leader Fidel Castro has died at age 90. His brother, President Raul Castro, announces on state TV. And then there's this, one of the most prominent international figures in the last half of the 20th century. Castro inspired both passionate love and hate. Many who later lost faith in him can remember how they once admired the man who needed just a dozen men to launch the Cuban revolution. Now, here is how NPR announces and covers Shinzo Abe. Former Japanese Prime Minister Shinzo Abe, a divisive arch-conservative and one of his nation's most powerful and influential figures, has died after being shot during a campaign speech Friday in Western Japan, hospital officials said. A divisive arch-conservative. Actually, he was not a divisive figure in Japan. Only among a small fringe, the ruling party there has been pretty dominant since World War II. Shinzo Abe is uh, not very divisive. He's actually highly regarded and was on the, uh, making stump speeches and possibly preparing for a comeback for a third time. He's Japan's longest-serving prime minister, for Pete's sakes. He wasn't a divisive arch-conservative. And by the way, arch-conservative, that, that lingo, arch-conservative, means something completely different. They are interpreting it in, in view of American politics. They're reading their partisan politics into this. They did not like the fact that he flew over from Japan and gave a golden golf club to Donald Trump when Trump was president-elect and the Democrats were still trying to stop him by converting the Electoral College against him. They've held that against him ever since. This says more about national public radio and how national public radio views politics than it does Sinjo Abe. Follow the account of a guy on Twitter, uh, Political Math. His name's Matt. And he put out a tweet, and, and this is really where I want to focus. He says, the level of othering that has me most concerned about our political moment. If you can't put aside your partisan politics to show baseline respect when a man is gunned down, you really don't believe your opponents are human. Does the headline writer even know anything about Abe? Or did they have this sort of caveman mentality? Ugh, conservative bad, punch words on board keys to make bad on web screen. This is a problem. In particular, because so much of our national 
news media exists today to be group therapy for the left. In our national political press, Republicans are always bad, Democrats are always good, conservatives are always troglodytes, progressives are always just open-minded and tolerant. And our media has gotten so broken that when events happen around the world, they find out, oh, member of a conservative politician, political group, well, we can't like them. Never mind that the labels don't overlap precisely. Everything has to follow the template. Conservative politician, oh, well, arch, ultra, MAGA from Japan, bang away on the keyboard. It makes no sense. You're just otherizing them. You're not showing basic respect. The man was a giant. On the left and the right around the world, they liked Shinzo Abe because he served in Japan's leadership for so long as prime minister. He was there at all the political gatherings around the world, was nice to everyone. In fact, this is a man who went around in public so concerned after COVID struck, he wore a mask everywhere. And conservative skeptics actually attacked the guy for wearing a mask everywhere. And his point was, you don't have to do it but I'm doing it because I want to make people feel comfortable in my presence. And I saw that there were American reporters this morning who were praising him for that, and there were some conservatives ridiculing him for that. It was his choice. He didn't make anybody else do it. And you're reading your American politics and and masks and the like into what this guy in Japan did in a different setup, different outcomes, different environment, different way they controlled and tried to contain the virus, but you're taking your American politics and you're extrapolating it and you're putting it on there and it shows a level of naivete and close-mindedness to a global society that is deeply frustrating to me as someone who grew up overseas, realizes we're the best nation on the planet, not because of some hypothetical loyalty to the country, but because I've been to those other countries and I know we're the best. And then to come home and see a bunch of idiots on national television take their American political views and their closed-mindedness and their intolerance of their political opposition here and smear and slander a former prime minister who got assassinated overnight because they're bitter about American politics, it's really despicable. Sixteen percent of Americans not 16% of Republicans, 16% of Americans say they trust the American press. It's times like this that you understand why. It's times like this that you understand We're not coming back from this. We're not coming back. And the reason we're not coming back is because, well, conservatives, frankly, have given up infiltrating institutions. We've ghettoized ourselves, if we're honest about it. We like to say, well, they wouldn't welcome us. We, We didn't even try. We gave up. We like to claim we try. We've developed a mythology of trying. But actually what we did is we went out and we said, well, the left has taken over these institutions. We're going to go start our own institutions. It's like watching a bunch of of conservative-oriented movies. Listen, this is going to offend some of my friends, and I don't mean to, but most of the movies that conservatives put out that are for conservatives, they're crap. The video quality, crap. The audio quality, crap. The script, crap. The acting, crap. It all is. I'm sorry. Using the C word, don't mean to offend you. 
better than the other word I'm thinking. We don't do a lot of good engagement. Kudos to those who are trying. I don't mean to poo-poo your effort. There are some, I think we're seeing hopeful signs. Uh, ben Shapiro, The Daily Wire, they've got Gino Carano. They're, they're, they're trying to, to make some movies. They're trying. I've got some friends who went to Hollywood after uh, Obama won and thought, you know what, I'm going to Im- embed in Hollywood and make some movies that have some some latent conservative themes. And I think they're doing a pretty good job. But by and large, conservatives are like, oh, we'll go do our own, we'll build our own colleges, we'll build our own institutions, we'll build our own newspapers. We won't even try to compete, we'll just cede the ground to them. And there are a lot of conservatives, oh no, we tried, we tried, they pushed us out. And I don't know, I'm not in, into the, the level of history there that they subscribe to, to think that that's actually the case. I think a lot of us like, no, we're gonna go build our own thing. They're liberal, we're going to go do it. And what we do is half the value, half rate, cut rate. Part of it is because conservative donors want a financial return on investment. You know, I, I've been involved in the conservative movement for a long time and have enough friends who are across the aisle and disagree with me on stuff. And I can tell you one of the big issues is that progressive donors want an intellectual ideological return on investment. Almost all of the Republican donors I know want a financial rate of return. So they're not willing to invest to build up great institutions that take 20 years to make a profit if they ever do because they want their money back. Liberal donors throw their money at the stuff and say, don't worry about a profit. You are there to persuade voters to vote for us, not there to make me money. And now we've kind of gone for so long, we're not coming back. We should defund NPR. Let the libs have it. Stop treating it as some sort of respected authority. We've stopped treating the New York Times that way. Stop treating NPR that way. Now, you and I don't, but a lot of people do. Stop funding it with government money. Stop funding it with taxpayer money. The media in this country doesn't deserve the respect a lot of people give it. There are great reporters out there. Don't get me wrong. There are really good people who do good work. But overall, those institutions are as broken as everyone else, but lack the humility to understand their brokenness. And... A prime minister in Japan has been assassinated. And the first reaction from National Public Radio and other American media institutions was to otherize him, make him something other than who he was, a human being created in the image of God who was gunned down by a madman. That says way more about them than it does even the shooter. And then there were those even on the right who, because Senzo Abe thought he was being respectful of others by wearing a mask, decided to ridicule him for that. You know, sometimes the story is just that the longest serving prime minister in Japan was gunned down by a madman and your politics and your worldview really have nothing to do with the tragedy. But in a self-absorbed society, hey, we can make it all about ourselves. Hello there. Welcome back. It is Eric Erickson here. The phone number 877-973-7425 if you want to call in. Keep in mind, the normal call screener has returned, so good luck. If you go to EdenPureDeals.com and you put in on the front page of that website where it says, Welcome listeners, enter your host code word, Eric Bogo. Put in, there's a red box, E-R-I-C-K-B-O-G-O. You will go to the Eden Pure Thunderstorm buy one, get one free offer happening right now. Over 257,000 of these things have been bought by you guys. 
I mean, y'all love them, and it's there's good reason to. It actually eliminates odors. So you can put one of these in your car if your car stinks. Leave it running for a while. It will wipe out the odors in your car. You got pet odors, smoky odors, cigarette odors, cigar odors, you name it. They will wipe out the odors. I use it myself. I've used it to wipe out cigar odors in a car. I've used it to wipe out the fry odors in a kitchen. It works. You can get two of them. Buy one, get one free. The cool thing is if you buy two of them, you get two for free. You buy four of them, you get four for free. That's the way this works. You go to EdenPureDeals.com. You put in my code Eric Bogo, E-R-I-C-K-B-O-G-O. Get one, pay full price, like 120 some odd dollars. And then you get the other one completely free. It's an incredible deal. And you get free shipping. EdenPureDeals.com. Eric Bogo is the discount code. Uh we got to move on. I was going to talk about the economy. We're going to get there. But first, I've got to talk about dear little Pete Buttigieg. Pete Buttigieg is our Secretary of Transportation. He is overly ambitious. It is a widely known uh, open secret in Washington, D.C. that much of the smear jobs about Kamala Harris have come from Pete Buttigieg's camp. The reason being is he sees himself as the next president of the United States. The only sta- thing standing between him and the Democratic nomination is her, and it's just widely assumed, known, expected in Washington that Buttigieg is the one pushing all the smears on Harris. Buttigieg has decided to move to Michigan. Remember, he defined himself as the mayor of South Bend, Indiana, that he was a Democrat who could get elected in South Bend. Well, uh, the official story is that his husband, Chasen, is from Traverse City, Michigan, and they're moving to be closer to his husband's family. But his super PAC is already played in Michigan. He's already starting to give political contributions. He's already starting the tour of the state. Michigan uh, likes carpetbaggers. They like to elect people who move into the state for reasons I don't understand. And Buttigieg wants to win in Michigan. And he thinks the state has moved towards the Democrats. And it's a place where he can do well because he wants to be president of the United States. So you just keep this in mind. When we're still dealing with port backups on the West Coast, we're still dealing with supply chain issues. We're still dealing with gas issues and we're still dealing with 18 wheelers that can't traverse the country and now we have uh faa backups faa under hires uh we've got canceled flights backed up flights problems with aviation all of these things in the wheelhouse of the secretary of transportation he's moving on to campaign for his next job instead of doing his current job which apparently was also the story of his life when he was the mayor of south bend indiana i don't care whether you're republican or democrat You should not support the people who are overly ambitious. I always have a deep, deep distrust of the politicians who are always running for the next job. And I don't care whether they're Democrat or Republican. I I mean, there are a long list of people I know who are always running for office. And I just, those are the people, God bless them. Some of them I know, some of them are friends, but they're the ones I don't want to vote for. Because I just don't trust the people who are always angling for the next job. Oh, I'm going to run for the state house. It's my path to get to the state senate. Oh, it's my path to get to the AG's office. It's my path to get to governor. It's my path to get to the presidency. Those are the people you avoid like the plague because everything to them is a transaction. It's a damning indictment on their character. In this case, it's Pete Buttigieg, a Democrat. But the same thing would apply to Republicans as well. You just don't vote for people like that because their character is about themselves and their career advancement, not about actually helping people. Helping people is the problem they use to advance their career. 